Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. As we begin our message this morning, I'm going to give you a word, and then I want you to tell me if you associate that word with being more happy or sad. And I'll say the word or the phrase, and then you tell me, talk back to me, and it's all right. There's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. Some of us might agree for the most part on most of them, and others of us might disagree. But you just tell me back, happy or sad, one of those two words, when I tell you. Let's start. Sunshine. Most of you said happy. We like sun. I guess you live in Orange County, you better like sun, right? And that's what we have most of the time. Vacation. All right, we're thinking there. Root canal. We're not real happy about root canals, are we? The word miracle. Happy. Cancer. Not a, not a word that we associate very positive, is it? White chocolate covered Oreos. I've gotten five or six boxes already. You're a wonderful church. I haven't even mentioned them yet. I didn't know they were out, and people are, I think you guys want me to become much larger than I am, and so I've had to share some of those with folks. If you haven't tried, this is an annual Christmas thing that I have to mention. If you haven't tried uh, white chocolate-covered Oreos and you see them on the shelves at your local store, pick up a box. You'll thank me later. Hallmark movies. We got a little bit of mixed results there. Let's try that again. Hallmark Christmas movies. (laughs) All right. We'll let let you fight in your house the way that we fight in our house over those. We don't fight about them anymore. We have two different TVs. So the girls go upstairs and watch Hallmark, and the guys stay downstairs and and, uh, watch something. Christmas music before Thanksgiving. How many of you said happy on that? How many of you said sad? I had to paused my wife's phone this morning. She was playing Christmas music. Then I had to hide it somewhere in our house for the rest of the morning. And I'm taking my stand. Christmas doesn't start till after Thanksgiving. I don't care what you guys say, all right? Final exams. Sad. Grandma's home cooking. Happy. You're grounded. Sad, right? We don't like that. Well, parents, maybe I don't know what, what, what you— 49ers winning the Super Bowl. Somebody said impossible. I'm not sure. There was way too many sads there. What's my point this morning? My point is that certain words or phrases carry connotations with us, don't they? And when we we hear a certain word or or a a certain phrase, immediately we might have some sort of emotion or or, or thinking of happiness or sadness. This morning, as we finish up in Acts chapter number 26, we're in our series, message number 80, going verse by verse through the book of Acts. Acts in chapter number 26, I want to preach a message entitled, One of the Saddest Words. One of the saddest words. We're going to see what I would say maybe a happy word as well here. But one of the saddest words, for context, for those that might be newer in our church or you haven't been with, with us through this series, where we find ourselves, the book of Acts, when you get into the New Testament, you have the first four books of the New Testament, what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books, they cover about 30 years of history. They cover the time when Christ, uh, the Son of God, was, was made flesh, what we celebrate at Christmas, came to earth and, and was robed in flesh, and his 30, about 30-year 30 earthly life in 
and ministry. Those are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. About 30 years. The book of Acts, the fifth book of the New Testament. It, we call it Acts. It's a book of action. Some call it the Acts of the Apostles. Really, it's the Acts, the Acts of the Holy Ghost through the Apostles. But it's the, it's the history of the early church. Christ has, has ascended back into heaven. And now, the same thing, the book of Acts covers about 30 years of history. And we have about three decades of time, and it's the stories, the, the, the history of what the followers of Christ did after his death, burial, and resurrection, after he went back into heaven, what they did, and the, the planting of the early church, the first uh, third or half there, really, it focuses a lot on Peter and some of those, the 12 apostles. And then you, you get to about the middle of the book, and the narrative shifts, and the rest of the book is really about the apostle Paul. And that's the main character. There are other characters, but that's the main character through the rest of the book of Acts. And it covers his 25-year ministry of church planting all around um, the known world at that time, and, and really mainly to the Gentiles. Now, we see Jews getting saved. That's where the gospel went first. But then the gospel goes in power through Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And that's where we've been studying. We're coming toward the end of Paul's life and ministry. We've already been along with Paul on his three missionary journeys. What we'll see tonight at five o'clock in our service uh, what is what some people call Paul's fourth missionary journey. We're going to look at the uh, Acts chapter 27 tonight at five o'clock. But this morning where we find ourselves, Paul has completed his third missionary journey and he's now been imprisoned for preaching Jesus. He didn't do anything criminal. He didn't do anything wrong. He just tried to live and fulfill God's plan and purpose for his life. He was misunderstood. He was lied about. He was mischaracterized. He was, he was falsely accused. And by the way, sometimes when we try to live for God and just fulfill God's plan and purpose for our lives, some of those same things will happen to us. And we find Paul, he's been sitting in a holding cell really because, because Festus and, and before him Felix, uh, as they, they, were, um, they, were, they were Roman governors and, and leaders, rulers, politicians. They didn't want to make an uncomfortable or an, an, uh, an unpopular decision. They knew if they let Paul go, there would be a whole group of people in Jerusalem that would be really mad. And, but they also knew they didn't have any grounds to really put him to death, which is what he was being accused with. So they just said, you know what, we'll just hold him here. And they didn't really give him due process. Let's just hold him here. And he's sitting in this, in this detainment in, in Caesarea, that port city, that, that seaside town, I should say, in, on the Mediterranean. He's sitting there for two years, over two years. His, his accusers, he's been heard. The accusations have been heard. There's no evidence to convict him of anything. And now he's standing before King Agrippa. We looked at Paul's address the last couple of Sunday mornings to King Agrippa. He's standing before King Agrippa, and he's preaching Jesus to the assembled crowd of rulers, of politicians, of godless Romans that want nothing to do with God. He's preaching Jesus, and we come to the end of his address. If you were here last Sunday night, we looked at a message from verse 22, the only way you're going to make it. And let's pick it up in verse 22 this morning. Let's pick up our, our passage in verse 22. The Bible says, having therefore obtained help of God, Paul says. Paul talks about how he was, he was attacked. He was, they, they tried to put him to death. Having therefore obtained help of God, God saw me through every trial. I continue unto this day. I'm here because God has strengthened me. Witnessing both to small and great, the important and the unimportant, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. 
that Christ should suffer, here's Paul's message, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. My message is the gospel. We saw that last Sunday morning, our cause. Verse 24, and as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Basically he said, Paul, you've lost your mind. You're crazy. All this studying of the Bible and all this, this studying of this Jesus stuff has made you crazy. Verse, 20, uh, verse 25, Paul said, but he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king, now he addresses King Agrippa, who's sitting there. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. He says here, the stuff I'm saying, you think I'm crazy? The guy that you have here to listen to my defense, King Agrippa, he knows this is true. This thing of Christ rising from the dead and his disciples going out and preaching Jesus, this was not done in a corner. This wasn't done in some dark alley in some, 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 some back room that nobody saw it. This is, this is common knowledge. And even the guy that you have listening to me that I'm speaking freely to, King Agrippa, I think he believes this. I think he knows this is true. Look at what he says in verse number 26, verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 27. King Agrippa, he addresses him, he puts him on the spot. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Do you believe the Old Testament? I know that thou believest. I know you, you believe these things are true. Would you read verse 28 aloud with me? Verse 28, ready, begin. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What a sad word. Almost. King Agrippa, you believe this stuff, don't you? You believe in the God of the Bible, don't you? The prophets prophesied that Christ would come. You believe the prophets, don't you? All I'm preaching is the same stuff Moses preached. That, that Jesus would come, that the Messiah would come to save his people from their sins. All I'm preaching is, is what Jeremiah preached. And what Isaiah preached. King Agrippa, you believe this, don't you? And what does he say? Almost thou persuadest me. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Some scholars and commentators have suggested that maybe this was a sarcastic. Like, Paul, you almost got me. I'm almost there. I'm almost a Christian. Others believe that it was sincere. You know, it's, you make some persuasive arguments, and, and I'm close, but I'm just not ready. Still others say that it might be the idea of him saying, do you really think you're going to get me to make a whole life change with just one little speech? Almost like just in this short of a time, I'm going to change. Whatever the case may be, whatever the, his, his intention and his tone when he said it, no matter what, what a sad and tragic response. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You almost convinced me to follow Christ, Paul. Almost. So close. It was professional baseball player Frank Robinson who famously coined the phrase in an interview with Time Magazine in 1973. He said, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And may I just say that there are many like King Agrippa that are close to the things of God. They've heard truth. 
They maybe even say, I believe some of that, and, and I believe the Bible is true, and I believe that Jesus lived, but they never pull the trigger of, of making that step in their own life. They never step out in faith to say, I will be a Christian. As we saw Alexandra today identify with Christ, what is she identifying with? I made a decision. I wasn't brought up in the faith, Alex, would be Alexandra's testimony, but I knew God was working, and I knew I needed to find truth, and she wasn't almost persuaded to be a Christian. She said, I decided to become a Christian. As it relates to Christianity, we're either in or we're out. There is no almost. We're either saved or we are lost. There is no middle ground. There is no gray area. I know in our day and age, we like moral relativism and we like situational ethics and we like you, you live your truth and I live my truth. The only problem is Jesus said, I am the truth. There is no your truth and my truth. There is just the truth. And you're either in or you're out. You're saved or you're lost. You're on your way. And I know this is not a real popular message in our day, but according to Scripture, you're on your way to heaven or you're on your way to hell. There is no almost. You're either in or you're out. King Agrippa was so close and yet so far away. And my question for you by way of introduction this morning is what is your almost? That area where you've heard the truth. You've pondered your decision or your direction in life. You've almost made the choice to follow God, but in the end, you just couldn't let go. As King Agrippa sat there, King Agrippa, I believe that he believes these things, Paul said. Festus, you think I've gone crazy, but the man sitting next to you, he knows what I'm saying is true. I believe you believe this, King Agrippa. Would you tell him? I'm right there. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What is your almost? What was Paul's response when King Agrippa said almost? Look at verse 29, please, and we'll read four verses to the end of the chapter. Follow along if you will. And Paul said, notice what he says, his response, I would to God that not only thou, not just you, but everyone that hears me today were both almost and, what's that next word, church? Altogether, such as I am, except these bonds. He said, I wish you had found, you would find what I have found. I wish you had the life I have, except maybe I wouldn't wish that you'd be sitting in a prison cell for two years. He's speaking in shackles. I wish that you, King Agrippa, and everybody that hears my voice today were both almost and altogether like me, except these bonds. I'll, I'll, I'll spare you the pain of having shackles. Look at verse 30, and when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice, and they sat with him, with them. They, I'm sorry, they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. You recall the Jews wanted to kill Paul. They had an assassination plot in place. And so Paul had said as a Roman citizen, he had, he had you know, if we were to try to put it to ours, you know, I want my lawyer. Like basically in, in American, if I were about to be falsely accused or I felt like I was getting set up, I have the right to not say anything to you and not to, I want my lawyer. I want to wait for due process. Basically in that, as a Roman citizen, that's what Paul said. He said, I want, I want to appeal to Caesar Augustus. I'm not going to go back to Jerusalem. I'm not going to let the Jews put me on trial because it's, it's going to be a mock trial. It's not going to be a fair trial. It's, it's, it's going to be a kangaroo court. I'm not going to have a fair shake. I want Caesar Augustus. So now what happens at the end of this defense? King Agrippa, his, his incestuous relationship with his sister wife, Bernice, and, and Festus, they all get together and they're talking. And King Agrippa said, honestly, you got nothing on him. There's nothing you can do to this guy. And the re reality is, if he hadn't already asked to go see Caesar Augustus, he probably would just get let go today. 
There's no more reason to hold him, but we'll see tonight. He had appealed to Caesar Augustus, and God's going to use that. He's going to end up in Rome. Uh, But this is what happens at the end. He says, there's nothing there. You don't have anything on him. It's the end of his defense here in Caesarea. But I want us to see, I want us to see Paul's response to the man that said almost. What did he say? He said, I would to God that you and all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether. What is Paul saying? I wish you knew what you were missing by choosing not to follow God. I wish you were like me in every way, not because of who I am, but because of who he is, what he's done in my life, except for I don't wish these bonds on you. I wish you weren't King Agrippa just almost, but altogether. I want to give us three thoughts that I see in Paul's life here this morning. I want to ask you, is there one of these that you're almost, but not altogether? Number one, Paul said, I wish you were both almost and altogether like me. What is, what is he referencing? I believe in, in the passage, number one, Paul's saying, I wish you were altogether saved. I wish you were altogether saved. Born again, the Bible uses that terminology. To be redeemed, to be bought back, to be forgiven, to be on your way to heaven. I wish you were altogether saved. What did King Agrippa say? Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. I'm right there. I could see the benefits of it. I'm, I'm weighing it in the balances. I, I can see I think it's true and I, I think it's good, and, but I'm almost. And what did Paul say? I wish, like me, you were altogether saved. You didn't have any doubts that you were a Christian, that you were on your way to heaven when you died. I I wish you would let God save you. And that's my plea to you this morning. Those that are in this room and those that might be watching or maybe later on listening to an archive podcast of this or on our Facebook page. If you're not saved, if you don't know for sure that if you were to die today that you would spend eternity in heaven, I wish that like me you would be altogether saved. You would let Christ altogether forgive you, altogether pay for your eternal life. He's already paid for it, but that you would receive the gift. I wish you were altogether eternally secure. What is Paul saying, I think, some along the way? Quit searching for salvation in anything other than Christ, Agrippa. He is the answer. Trust him today. Your good works won't get you there. Your church membership won't get you there. Your parents' faith won't get you there. Your offering in the offering plate won't get you there. What does the Bible say? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved. We must must be saved. That name is Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, the life. I wish you were both almost and altogether saved. May I ask every one of you, between you, me, and the Lord, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you died today that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Are you altogether saved? What is Paul saying? King Agrippa, he said, I'm almost, almost, I'm close. You persuade me to be a Christian. He said, I wish it went beyond almost, and it went to altogether. I wish you were altogether saved. Secondly, Paul, I believe he's referencing, I wish, King Agrippa, you were altogether surrendered. Verse number 16, we saw it last week. When Paul got saved, what happened? The Lord said, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister, verse 16, and a witness of these things which you've seen and those things which will appear unto you. What did he say? Paul, I want you to surrender your plans, your will, your career, your position. I want you to surrender them all to me, and I want to guide you. You've had power, Paul. You've had prestige, Paul. You've had position. People fear you. But now that you're saved, I'm asking you to give all of that up and say, God, 
whatever you have for me, I surrender it. And this is a hard one. For some people, that decision to trust Christ as Savior, to place their faith in Christ alone as Savior, is really tough. For others, it's not. It's kind of like, for others, it's like, I have a choice. According to Scripture, if the Bible's true, heaven, hell, salvation, condemnation, I want salvation. Like that's, for, for many, that's not a hard decision. For many of us, surrender is much harder. God, here's my plans. Here's my will. Here's my ideas. Here's my career path. Here's what I had planned. and Here's what I think is right for me. And God, you can have it all. And Paul, I believe, is telling here, I wish that everybody under the sound of my voice, based on what he just gave in his testimony as he's talking, and it's all in context, he says, God changed my purpose. I surrendered everything to him, and he he put me on a new path. He set me in a new way. He gave me new desires and new priorities and a new message. And, and, And all of those things that I had before, I surrendered to God, and I wish that those under the sound of my voice were not just just almost saved, but we're all together saved, and not just almost surrendered, but all together surrendered. Festus said, Paul, you're crazy. You've gone mad. And by the way, sometimes surrendering everything to Christ will make you look crazy to those around you. It might make you look crazy to a friend, to a neighbor, to a coworker, to a family member, to a parent. But there is no better life than the surrendered life, Christian. No matter where it leads you, there is no better life than following God. And Paul gave up what we would call, humanly speaking, gave up everything. And what does Paul say? I counted it as dung, as lost. I didn't give up anything. I got everything when I surrendered my life to Christ. It looks crazy sometimes when we are all together surrendered. In 1913, William Borden, at the age of 25, as a graduate of Yale and Princeton, when he left his wealthy family, and his palatial home near Chicago's Lakeshore Drive, giving away at that time in the early 1900s more than a half a million dollars to uh, to giving it away to become a missionary to the Muslim world where he would die in his mid-20s in Cairo, Egypt. Many thought he was crazy. May I say God did not share their opinion. And his testimony, if you've studied his life, his life's work, and his testimony as just a man in his 20s, still impacts lives more than a century later. Being altogether surrendered sometimes looks a little crazy, but there's no better life. In 1885, when England's most famous athlete, C.T. Studd, left for China, he and his co-laborers, they were called the Cambridge Seven. They were ridiculed for their fanaticism. It was in 1884, the year before they left, It was after C.T.'s brother George became very ill uh, that that C.T. was confronted by the question. And here's what he said. I was confronted. I asked myself, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes face to face with eternity? He had to admit, he said, that his conversion, he was altogether saved six years earlier. But since his conversion, those six years, he had been in an unhappy, backslidden state. He had been altogether saved, but not altogether surrendered. As a result of the experience, he said, here's what he said, I knew that cricket would not last. I knew that honor would not last and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. C.T. became altogether surrendered and he gave his life to spreading the gospel in China, in India, in Africa until the age around 70 when he died. He's probably best remembered for his little poem, Only One Life Twill Soon Be Passed, Only What's Done for Christ Will Last. A man that had the world at his fingertips, 
a professional athlete, the, the most famous athlete. We would put him on, on par in our society with some of the most, maybe a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant or a LeBron James or whatever it might be, a Tom Brady, a, and whatever sport that might be, what are our most famous athletes. C.T. Studd, he had that whole life, and he said, I had been saved, but for six years I had been unhappy because I had not yet surrendered. And to this day, there are still ministries impacting lives. His life impacted different continents, multiple continents. And a man with a great athletic career realized that true purpose came from surrender. Here was Paul saying, I wish you could find the joy that comes from surrender, from following Christ. Paul said, I thought I had it all. I had power. I had prestige. I had position. But Christ had me do a 180, and I found everything that I was missing, the joy that comes with surrender, the peace that comes with surrender, the purpose we see in this passage that comes with surrender. What is Paul saying? I, I used to have great personal power. Now I have great providential power. It's not my strength, it's his. I used to instill fear in Christians. Now I lead Christians to fear or reverence the Lord. I used to take the earthly lives of believers. Now I lead unbelievers to eternal life. What is Paul saying? I wish, King Agrippa, you're so close, but yet so far away. I wish you were altogether saved. I mean, I say my plea is the same this morning. If you don't know Christ, I wish that today you would be, become altogether saved. And what is Paul saying? I wish I found the joy in a life surrendered to Christ. I wish that you were altogether surrendered. What is it in your life that you're not willing to let go of? What is that dream, that possession, that relationship, that thing you thought, this is what, God, I'll live for you, but you've got to give me this. You've got to let me keep that, or you've got to take me there. And what does God want us to do? He wants us to say, God, I don't care where it leads me. I don't care what it means. You have it all. And Paul lived a life of altogether surrender. Number three, and lastly, I believe Paul here is saying, I wish I w we're going to see it tonight in greater power in context in chapter 27, the, the illustration of this. But I believe, I believe Paul is saying, I wish you weren't almost, but altogether satisfied. Satisfied. Think about this. Paul, he was the one, humanly speaking, that was in bondage. I, Jay, I think you sent me the text. I, you said it much more eloquently than I'm about to say it. But something along the lines of, uh, after our morning message, the one that he was the one in bondage, but it was his listeners that were really the ones in shackles. He was the one that was free in Christ. He had experienced true freedom and true satisfaction and true contentment. He was the one whose life truly had meaning. And, and humanly speaking, it looked like he had the worst plight of them all. And he said, I wish that you were not almost but altogether satisfied in the life that God has given to you. Paul said, I found the fulfillment in Christ that I never had without him. I found a joy that nothing in this world could ever bring. I've learned, Paul said in another book that he wrote, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He wrote that from prison, by the way. Almost, what a sad word. I'm almost saved. I'm almost surrendered. I'm almost satisfied. But there's this longing. There's this hole. And, and, and that relationship didn't fill it. And that, that, that possession didn't fill it. And that vacation didn't fill it. And those white chocolate covered oranges almost filled it, but they didn't even fill it. And I've been looking and, 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 and I can't, I find little temporary satisfactions, but then I wake up and I'm empty again. And what did Paul say? I've learned 
how to abound and how to be abased. I've learned how to have plenty and how to have nothing. I've learned to, to, to love God and be joyful and content and satisfied on the mountaintop. And I've learned to be content and satisfied in the prison cell. I'm altogether satisfied. Can you say that in your life? Well, I, I, I haven't always been able to say that. And there are still times that I, I don't say that because I get my focus off of Christ and on my own dreams and my own desires and my own wants and my own needs that I think are needs. But there have been many times where I have found that satisfaction in Christ. Where you know what? There's a peace that passes all understanding. I'm walking through something that people would say, and that's terrible. And you know what? It's wonderful because he's in control. And I trust him. Now, it makes me sound like super Christian. I'm not always there. I'm not always like that. I struggle with doubt and fear and, and, and feelings just like you do. But there are times where, like Paul, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, that I'm altogether satisfied. If, if you ask, well, what do you want for Christmas or what, what kind of— my, my kids will sometimes ask me, what's your dream car? Well, if you could have any car, what car would you want? And I'll say a 2006 green Toyota Sienna minivan because that's what we have. And I have cars that I would like to have just like you probably do, but here's the reality. You know what? We're, we're pretty happy with our 50—well, I am. I don't have to drive it that much. My wife wouldn't mind a little newer car, but our 15-year-old broken-down minivan that the, the door handle doesn't work. And all, but you know what? It gets us where we need to go. And again, that makes me sound like super Christian. There are times that I covet. There are times that I, I'm, I'm not content. But what is Paul saying? I wish you knew the satisfaction that only comes in surrender in living a life for God, in giving your life to God. What a sad word, almost, right there. Almost saved is completely lost. Almost satisfied is completely discontent. Almost surrendered is completely selfish. You're holding on to something. Are you altogether saved? You're here this morning. Jesus had a warning for those who were close, but yet so far away. It's a, it's a scary verse. It, I, I say scary. It's a, it's a, uh, it's, it's a thought-provoking verse. It's a sobering verse is probably a better word. Matthew 7, he said this, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What is he saying? We, we tried to do some good things, but we never never had a relationship. I never knew you. And I, I went to church on Sunday, and I gave some money in the offering plate, and I tried to let my good works outweigh my bad. And I even, I even said, I believe that there is a God, but I never entered into that true relationship with Christ. What does Jesus say in that last day? There will be many that will say, I did that. And I'll say, I'll say, uh, depart from me. I never knew you. Are you altogether saved? Is there any doubt in your mind that if you were to die today, that you'd spend eternity in heaven? If there is, don't leave this church this morning with that doubt there. Get it settled. Don't be almost saved. Be altogether saved. Are you altogether surrendered? What's holding you back from fulfilling God's plan? Is it money? Is it fear? Is it a relationship? Is it a pet sin that you're scared to surrender to him? An addiction? A habit? A friendship? A job? I'm almost there, but I just can't give that one thing up. As far as we know, King Agrippa died in his sin and will spend eternity in hell. He was so close, but he wasn't willing to make the commitment to be altogether saved. 
Are you altogether saved? Are you altogether surrendered? Are you altogether satisfied? Is Jesus enough? Not just when everything's going well, but when you find yourself in shackles. Not just when the bills are paid, but when you have no idea how you'll be able to pay the bills. Not just when there's a clean bill of health, but when the health prognosis seems hopeless. Are you almost or altogether? For me, it was three decades ago. As a nine-year-old boy, I heard the truth of the gospel. And on that day, May 22nd, I was altogether saved. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I believe I placed my faith and trust in Christ, the faith of a child. And my, my eternity was forever changed. My life was forever changed. That could be your story today. And then as a teenager and young adult, I made some decisions. And at times, I, I went back on some of those. But I, I made some decisions to do my best to be altogether surrendered. I said, God, I want to serve you no matter where that takes me and what that means. I had no idea all that would entail. I didn't know that meant our family would live in Orange County. I, I didn't know that where that would take me and the people that it would, it would allow me to serve with and the, the burdens that we would carry and the victories that we would win and the, and the celebrations and the tears. I had no idea. But as a teenager, I, I remember saying, God, I want to give you everything. You guide and direct my life. I haven't been perfect at that, and, and there's times where I have lived selfishly and sinfully, but I can tell you I have no regrets at the times that I've surrendered, and as I've followed Christ through the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs, I can tell you this. I am altogether satisfied in Him this morning. He is enough. His way is better than your way. His wisdom is higher than my wisdom. His plans are better than our plans. And here's my challenge to you this morning. Like what Paul said to Agrippa in the, in the gathered crowd there. Don't stand on the sidelines living an almost life. Only to come to the end and wish you had jumped in altogether. Which one is your almost? I'm almost saved. Make today the day of your salvation. I'm almost surrendered. Give that area of your life completely to God. God, you have it all. I'm almost satisfied. Oh, I'm pretty good, but there's this one where God just has been wrong to me. He just didn't do it right, and I'm holding that grudge. I'm holding that bitterness. No, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. When it's good and when it's bad. When it's easy and when it's hard. When it goes the way we wanted it to and when it doesn't. I'm altogether satisfied. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.